So, Caitlin, who are we canceling today? I think we're canceling Virginia juries. Ah, so we are going to do a follow-up on our last episode and look at the fallout from the verdict in the Depp Heard trial. Is that right? That is correct. (sighs) We live in hell, don't we? Hey everyone, I'm Caitlin Burns. And I'm Oliver Ashkline. And you're listening to Cancel Me Daddy. The show where we take a closer look at all of the panic around cancel culture. With thoughtful analysis. And verbal shit posting. I was skeptical about getting into the discourse mm-hmm. because because I'm anti-discourse. <laughs> and unfortunately, based on our last episode, I have learned that I'm going to have to get much deeper into the discourse because people seem to like it when we get into the discourse. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, I, we had a huge response to our last episode. Um, easily our most listened to episode so far. Oh, by far, yeah. But I think that... You know, we offered a perspective that others weren't, mm-hmm. and we had the perfect guests at the perfect time for that. So, you know, I don't think it was just taking advantage of sort of the algorithm because I don't really think algorithms ever help me <laughs> or our show at all ever. <laughs> uh, just, yeah, I was blown away by the response to our last episode, and it definitely deserves a follow up because I think there are some things that. We're left unsaid. I know that I was kind of complaining about the discourse, but I was totally joking, shit posting with my mouth. I'm really <laughs> happy that we were able to like really add something super valuable to the conversation. Um, we got we got quite the response. Did it does any you've been keeping an eye on the Twitter? Did did anything stand out to you? It's just the sheer number of people offering a link to our episode as sort of a look at at another side that wasn't being seen shout out to the you're wrong about pod responding to all their fans asking for a you're wrong about episode by linking ours appreciate that thank you (laughs) and welcome to all of our new listeners and apologies in advance So we are so excited to have Moira Donegan on the show today. She's a prominent feminist voice in the media landscape and is currently working as a columnist for The Guardian U.S., um, and she writes about gender and politics in the U.S. You might know her from headlines she made in 2017 after she was outed as the journalist who started the shitty Media Men list. It was a crowdsourced document meant to be an accessible whisper network, warning journalists of work environments and colleagues who were potentially unsafe. Today, we're having Moyer on the show to talk about the Depp Heard trial and the concerning verdict that was recently reached. Thank you so much for joining us, Moira. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Can you talk a little bit for, you know, listeners who haven't maybe haven't been keeping up with the case, kind of the the overview of the verdict and what recently happened? Right. So uh, the actor Johnny Depp sued his ex-wife, the actress Amber Heard, over a op-ed that she authored in The Washington Post that ran in 2018, in which she identified herself as, quote, a figure representing domestic abuse. And Depp said that this was about him and defamatory. He sued her for $50 million. She countersued for $100 million. uh, And the trial took place in a Virginia courtroom because that's where the Washington Post has their servers. 
and printers. Uh, Johnny Depp could have filed in California, uh, where both of the actors live, but he chose to file in Virginia because they have uh, less comprehensive free speech protections around defamation lawsuits. So there was a trial in Virginia. It took place for six weeks. It was televised, which is unusual for any kind of trial concerning allegations of sexual Mm. or domestic violence. Uh, And it became this absolute media spectacle, uh, particularly on social media and sort of like informal, less prestigious new media channels where a lot of misinformation about the case spread. And this jury that was not sequestered, that was exposed to all of that media vitriol, came back and they awarded Johnny Depp uh, $15 million, I think $10 million in damages for uh, income that he supposedly lost due to Heard's statement and another $5 million in punitive damages. And they actually had a somewhat contradictory and weird finding because they also awarded Heard $2 million because they said that one, a statement one of Depp's lawyers made was defamatory when he characterized Heard's allegations of abuse as a hoax. So it's a little unclear what the jury thinks actually happened. There does seem to be some contradictory impulses at play in their ruling. It could be some like jury deliberation room, horse trading that happened to get to this very strange outcome. But the gist of it is that Heard is being penalized by a court of law for speaking out about her experiences of abuse. So it's really horrific, especially after our conversation with Michael Hobbs last week going into this case. But, you know, this is, there was some weird things happening with the jury. They weren't sequestered, which I think uh, probably opens it up to grounds of, for appeal later on. And what does sequestered mean, Caitlin? So usually when there's a case with a lot of public attention, media attention, the judge will actually have the juries cut off from access to that media. Oh, this seems like an important case to do that with. Yeah, and and they didn't do that this time. So jurors could go home, they could log on to YouTube, they could see what everybody's saying, all of that. So they were just as exposed to the discourse as we all were through that whole thing. So I'm I'm wondering legally if there's grounds for appeals, but I didn't so much want to focus on the legal side of things today. I really want to talk about, in your view, as an expert on, you know, sex and gender, you write about it for The Guardian US. What potential ramifications are there of this verdict on survivors of domestic abuse who speak out about it. Yeah, I mean, it's really chilling, right? This is a terrible example. It's going to embolden abusers. What Johnny Depp's suit has demonstrated is that the legal system offers abusive partners, and, and usually their husbands and boyfriends, it's usually primarily overwhelmingly men abusing women in these kind of scenarios. And what you see is that he has offered this new avenue to continue the abuse post-separation, to exert control over an accuser who has um, disclosed his conduct publicly or even privately. It's a situation that's really, really scary. You know, lawsuits are not, uh, they're not a casual thing to endure. You know, it's not prison. uh, It's not physical violence, but it is a lot of energy and time. It's a lot of money. And, you know, it mirrors the abusive dynamic. You know, when you're being sued, it is a adversarial relationship you're in with somebody uh, that you didn't choose and that you can't make stop. 
And uh, a lawsuit can really have expansive impacts on your life because suddenly you can't talk about what's happening to you because everything related to the abuse could be subject to discovery. The people you've confided in could be subpoenaed. And, you know, Depp has, Depp sued her for many times her net worth. He asked for 50 million. She doesn't have 50 million. Mm -hmm. Uh, He knows she doesn't have 50 million. She will probably have to, if she winds up having to pay this judgment, which isn't certain yet. I do, I do expect Caitlin, as you, as you mentioned, I do expect her to appeal. Um, Precedent set that now an abuse victim who spoke even like honestly quite obliquely about her experiences in public has now been fined $15 million. That's something most survivors, most people can't afford. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's financially ruinous. She has experienced a Mm -hmm. public pillorying on social media in particular. And, you know, the combination of her social ostracization, her humiliation in public, her financial ruin, uh, you know, this is going to stop people from coming forward. And this is all by design, right? It is a way that an abuser can extend his abuse through the court system with the participation of the public, with the imprimatur of the state uh, to continue torturing somebody uh, for having the gall to name what he did as abuse. Yeah. And like she can appeal, but then she's going to have to be subject to all of this all over again. And like, even if she wins on appeal, she's still been through this humiliating, hateful ordeal. You know, her name and face by design is now associated like with poop forever like this is the first line of her obituary she doesn't get to be other things uh in mm-hmm. the public mind in the social imagination amber heard is always linked to johnny depp the man she says abused her like that's uh it's like a totalizing exertion of control right the way that this is played out and and linked her name publicly and also like even if she wins on appeal she has spent according to her six million dollars uh, on her legal defense over the course of these two lawsuits, because this is also not the first time Depp has sued over these allegations. He also sued in the UK, and she needed to go testify there and provide evidence there and have lawyers there mm-hmm. as well. Um, so, you know, he's like been doing this to her mm-hmm. for years across multiple continents, shopping for different avenues until he got the result that he wanted. You know, mm-hmm. it's a pattern of control via the courts that is like really terrorizing for her personally, you know? And like, maybe she'll appeal like that's also expensive and time consuming and emotionally draining and tedious. But even if she wins, he's already won because he's had this whole spectacle and he's won by uh, being able to continue his control of her. Yeah. And I know that like a lot of words have been written about quote unquote cancel culture. I mean, it's the topic of this podcast. Um, but it really seems to me, and I'm wondering if you agree that uh, Amber Heard has essentially been canceled um, in much of the sort of public reckoning. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's um, attempts to get her like kicked out of her film, her upcoming film. There's uh, attempts to have her like edited out of films. Everybody who speaks in support of her gets like flooded with 
uh, misogynist vitriol. Yeah, our mentions for the last week. Oh, God, I can imagine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, this is all over her speech, right? This is all over yeah. her, like, frankly, very lawyered, anodyne, careful speech. Oh, yeah, it was so innocuous. I have the quote, I became a public figure representing domestic abuse. That's all she said. Yeah, and uh, that doesn't say I was a victim of domestic abuse. It does not say Johnny Depp, the actor, you know him from Pirates of the Caribbean. He abused me, you know. It doesn't say that. She never said that. And she's writing about her own experience in a way that's demonstrably true, right? Um, And I I think she also seems to have been writing around an NDA that she signed during her divorce. It was written by lawyers exactly to stand up in court. But this case was not about the law. The case was about these things that we're seeing online. The case was about this reaction to Me Too. The case was about a sense of, you know, preserving male entitlement and gender hierarchy uh, and sort of punishing Amber Heard, but really, I think, women in general for having stepped out of line. Uh, And in terms of, like, you're talking about you know, the cancel culture discourse, Caitlin, like, yeah, talk about a free speech martyr. This woman is now being, you know, threatened with bankruptcy and public pillorying for her speech. And the state has been used to, you know, participate and coerce her Mm -hmm. humiliation and her financial ruin. Uh, Like this is a cut and dry free speech case. This is not somebody whining that they don't get to be a Supreme Court clerk if they say the N-word, although I think some of them do get to be Supreme Court clerks at this point if they say the N-word. But, you know, it's like this is unquestionably innocuous speech over a matter of public concern, right, about her own experience that is verifiably true. And it's been punished. Uh, It's been punished by the state and it's been punished by this online community Mm -hmm. uh, that is, is really vehement and is metastasizing very quick. You know, it it does sort of give the lie to the hypocrisy of this, like, cancel culture moral panic, right? That people who complain about so-called cancel culture always want to have a meta debate Mm -hmm. about, like, uh, oh, it's not about the fact that this, you know, obscure academic, like, really wants to be able to misgender his students and, like, is now facing professional sanction for doing that. It's about, like, what you're able to say. It's about conscience. Mm -hmm. It's not about, like, the content of the speech. And that's always bullshit, right? Like, it's just so transparently uh, disingenuous because when they don't like the content, they don't stand up for the speech, right? Like, as somebody on the who's typically on the other side of these cancel culture debates, I think we need to be a little more honest about the fact that, like, what we're talking about is what are the acceptable parameters of public discourse like what do we think is an acceptable like socially acceptable opinion to have right and i think it needs to be socially acceptable for survivors of domestic violence to speak about their own lives and to Mm -hmm. speak about this social issue because it impacts so many people and you know people have the right to tell the truth and i don't particularly like feel that it should be rigorously socially acceptable to like maliciously misgender a 19 year old undergraduate because like you are on a power trip and you're a dick you know like people are like well you have different standards for different kinds of speech and I'm like yeah of course because I'm sane like some (laughs) speech happens in ways that is like malicious and hurtful and reinforces social hierarchies and other speech happens in ways that is meant to like shed light on the realities of our world and like challenge power and like yeah we should 
be thinking about that kind of speech differently. But like with her, these free speech warriors, these cancel culture warriors, these people who are so like supposedly offended by illiberal responses to free speech and to like honest professions, uh, like people's sincere beliefs, you know, like this is somebody who exercised her free speech and made an honest expression of something she sincerely believed to be true that was in fact demonstrably true. And now is being, uh, you know, put in the stocks and tarred and feathered uh, digitally. And, you know, we don't know how she's going to be able to recover from this financially, professionally, socially, emotionally. Like this is a really, really, really chilling example. It's just like so creepy and sad. Well, and I don't see any of the like free speech cancel culture crowd speaking up about this and how horrifying it is. Right. Like it's total it's total bullshit. It's a complete grift. They don't have any like consistent values around this besides like, do I agree with you or not? It's like, where is Barry Weiss? <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> so where are they? Where is uh, Glenn Greenwald? You know, if you want a free store. Sp- yeah. It's like talk about it. Like Am- Amber Heard is a free speech martyr in a way that's a lot less disingenuous than these other, you know, minor micro controversies that they like cook up in a lab and churn out to Fox News every week. It's like the what is it? The 78 like suspended professors over the last 25 years or whatever statistic that they always like to pull out. And it's like, that's three people a year. Come on. (laughs) Yeah. And like, what would that list look like if you talked about people who lost university jobs because they expressed an unpopular view on like Israel Palestine Mm -hmm. or like, you know, uh, or like something like that. I just think that like, we need to be more honest that we do have different standards for the content of the speech, but which I think like, if you're in like a a social commentator with integrity or like a modicum of self-awareness, like people tend to do, but like on the right, they're like, well, we have our formula Substack article Mm -hmm. (laughs) about the assault to free speech. And the assault to free speech is never coming from, you know, the forces of patriarchy or racism or capital or reaction. It's always coming from like a undergrad at Oberlin. You know, the the, the focus <laughs> on like where the threat is coming from is always so asymmetrical to like the actual distribution of power. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, sorry, I'll tell you how I really feel. I've been just like ranting for 20 minutes. <laughs> no, actually, actually, I have an, I have another question about how you really feel. Um, so you wrote in your uh, column for The Guardian US about that this trial is a tipping point in regard to the public conversation and backlash around Me Too. And I'm wondering if you could expand on that a little bit and, and tell us kind of where we are in that backlash and kind of what this trial represents. Right. So I don't want to like revise the history too much because... Mm-hmm. The truth is that there was a backlash to Me Too, like, as soon as it started. Oh, absolutely. It wasn't just on, like, the radical fringe, like, chud internet. It was, like, opinion pages in the New York Times, like, glossy magazines. Has this gone too far? What about the women who don't feel this way? Uh, Like, all those fancy French women signed a letter in French about how, like, they love getting sexually harassed at work and, like, think that they should, you know, and it's like... um, Oh, God, look up the letter. It's insane. Oh uh, um, there there was a lot of discomfort and rejection of Me Too, even when it, it was at its peak, mm-hmm. right? Um, but back then, there was also a ton of, it seemed like, social enthusiasm for the feminist cause. Mm-hmm. I'm talking, like, 2017, late 2017, most of 2018. Like, I would say, like, up until... And a little bit past 
the Kavanaugh hearings, which were like, I, I believe late September, 2018, um, that sounds like right, September yeah. 24th or something. It was that it was like almost exactly a year after the Harvey Weinstein stories broke and the hashtag went viral. Um, and there was this like moment where there was a lot of feminist consciousness that was being very forthrightly expressed and that there was always pushback to this like misogynist understanding of sexual abuse claims, right? And and gender abuse claims. So like, I feel like Amber Heard, when she published that piece in 2018, like it probably got like a decent amount of support and was probably received as like a common kind of abuse that is consistent with what we know of how this abuse happens. You know, there was like a lot of providing of good information about like how victim blaming operates, what this rhetoric looks like, how the actual abuse tends to look uh, that would have like put that in a context and made it seem like very consistent with what we know of like the truth of how this abuse happens. And that energy, that like sort of passion for correcting misogynist misunderstanding for resisting misogynist narratives, that energy like went away. I think it got exhausted. Um, and, or maybe people were really demoralized, uh, after the Kavanaugh thing. And so like Me Too did sort of recede. It wasn't a huge thing in the 2020 election. It wasn't in the news anymore and, as much. And like, and because like the defeat of the Kavanaugh confirmation was so demoralizing yeah. to a lot of people, but like, but like the, the civil litigation moves way more slowly than these cultural cycles of attention and outrage. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, Johnny Depp was suing while we kind of looked away. And you saw that, I think, as the trial happened, there was this, like, really weird silence from a lot of, like, the mainstream and progressive media. Like, there, people mm-hmm. just were not calling this what it obviously was, which was, like, an extension of control and abuse uh, by a man against a woman, right? Like mm-hmm. it was very, very clear, but nobody was really saying it. And so there was this, like, I think Michael talked about this maybe to you guys, but there was like a vacuum of mm-hmm. commentary. And that felt very concerning and weird and new to me. Mm-hmm. I was like, wait, like two years ago, four years ago, every blue check journalist and, and like writer and like promised lefty person would have been talking about this and would have been pointing out how it was going. And what you see now was there was a lot of like, oh, it's complicated. We're not really interested in challenging this narrative that's, you know, spread like a weed on TikTok, you know. Um, There was a lot of like hand wringing over her not being a perfect victim, which like, spoiler Mm -hmm. alert, that doesn't exist. No one is. Like um, anybody uh, who's... subjected to that kind of abuse would eventually behave badly in response mm-hmm. because it's it's meant to break you down psychically so like that felt different that felt like a turning point the renewed reticence the renewed willingness to tolerate misogynist narratives around this and that freaked me out you know what's really interesting in relation to all of this i have a i have a close friend who works in like domestic and sexual violence who is like really embedded in, in those communities and the people working against it. And even in that community, there's a lot of different perspectives on this. And there, there is some of that, what you were talking about, people being like, oh, we don't know, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of that even in that community, which to me is really, as you know, we've learned, or as I've learned a lot more about this case, that's that's like increasingly concerning to me. Yeah. 
like you guys already did the big debunking episode with Michael, but like, I think this is a case study in how bullshit really goes viral, especially if it's bullshit that confirms people's pre-existing prejudices, right? Mm-hmm. Or like pre-existing cultural narratives that are like easy to believe. Like we know how this song goes. We know the story of the vindictive crazy ex-girlfriend mm-hmm. and it's, it's easy to believe. And I think, you know, it was so pervasive with almost no pushback from this Mm -hmm. media that had decided like, oh, we're kind of done with feminism for now, that there was a lot of room for it to just to grow and and take root and be and be really noxious. It got people who should have known better. Right. And I'm like a little judgmental right now because these people have been in my mentions all week. But like it could happen to any to any of us. Like we are all vulnerable to this kind of disinformation. We are all vulnerable to being manipulated this way by what we see. So it's a, um, I think it's a really humbling moment for people who like me tend to think of ourselves as like smooth, savvy operators because so many (laughs) smart people were really taken in, uh, Mm -hmm. including people who like know how this stuff works, you know, who know how abuse functions. The discussion has been raging in our Twitter mentions, obviously, since our, our last episode came out. But I'm I'm kind of struck by the people who are like, well, you know, usually I believe women and, you know, usually this. And, and, and yes, I support domestic violence victims, but uh, Amber Heard is different. And I'm over here going, it's she's really not, right? <laughs> yeah. But, like, even those people are sitting there while they're like the people who agree with them on this case are now going at like they're saying stuff like Brad Pitt should suit Angelina Jolie for all of this stuff and like you know suggesting that these these you know famous men who've been accused of abuse should start suing people um and it's like look at what you have maybe you didn't create it but you had a role in not stopping it right now it's grown to this point you know you see i think it was the house gop twitter account you know tweeting a jack sparrow meme when the verdict came out like this is going to get i think very political and that's always a problem when, when these types of issues sort of turn political but you know i think that republicans would rather talk about me too going too far than like having a gun debate right now as we're headed into the midterms so like I'm really disappointed in a lot of people who are like, you know, I believe domestic violence, you know, uh, survivors, but, and then they make an exception for this case. Um, And I don't know that I have a specific question in there, but like, how should we be reacting to those, those types of people specifically? I've been really maddened by this too. And I've noticed it, right? Like I'm a feminist, but I believe women, but, or I support me too, but, Mm -hmm. and it kind of reminds me of this inverse thing that happened. Um, I don't know what your moms are like, but in the nineties, when I was growing up, my mom was like strong, independent woman lived what looked, what was like very clearly a, a life enabled by feminist advances and informed by feminist principles who would always say, I am not a feminist and like Mm -hmm. position herself socially that way and then go, but you know, the pregnancy discrimination I saw at my place of work was morally wrong, you know? And Mm -hmm. um, so it was about 
the beliefs and then packaging the beliefs in a way that seems socially acceptable and consistent with how she saw herself, right? Because mm-hmm. back in 1996, 98, my mom saw feminists as these like crazy bra burning uh, lunatics who mm-hmm. couldn't get a man and they didn't, um, they didn't reflect the way she wanted to see herself, mm-hmm. right? And what happened in like the 2000s with sort of like the Jezebel era is that a feminist became for, I think, millennials and like Gen X people, like something uh, very socially desirable to be, something that was mainstream. Um, And that sort of cosmetic change was not accompanied during that era of history with like a more substantial change in uh, like actual attitudes. So now you get this like weird, like my mom in photo negative of people who proclaim feminism because that's how they want to be socially positioned. Mm. But then like don't actually apply feminist principles. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like at a certain point, it's like, okay, well you're claiming feminism, yeah. but you have all these exceptions. And if the exception is being brought out <laughs> in every case, it's like yeah. you can, that becomes the new rule, right? You're sort of giving away the game. Uh, but I don't think people see themselves as like nefarious hypocrites when they say that. Mm-hmm. I think they, I think they're sincerely convinced by this like massive propaganda uh, campaign around Johnny Depp. And you see this a lot, I think also in sort of like the media discussions Mm -hmm. and like the quote unquote discourse, uh, because like people don't want or didn't for, it's just starting to change now because of folks like you, thank you so much. Um, But like people didn't want to be seen as supporting Amber because that made you like a social outsider, right? Mm -hmm. Like taking her side was a fringe position for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, it was something your peers didn't do, but being a feminist is something your peers still do do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. saying I am a feminist, but I don't believe Amber Heard mm-hmm. is like saying that you're in the in group twice, right? It's like, oh no, no. And, yeah. and and the fact that those are contradictory positions, if you like, like actually examine the principles is sort of like yeah. irrelevant to what people are actually doing with it, which is saying like, I'm with my friends. I'm one of my friends. I'm identify this way. I'm in this hmm. in group. Sorry, maybe that's like a little too like meta and not very specific. No, we're totally here. We're totally here for the meta. <laughs> that's like the whoa moment of the show. Because I, I, in my head, I was going, whoa, okay. Actually, that makes a ton of sense. So <laughs> Good. I'm glad. I, sound, I don't know if I sound like I'm wearing a tinfoil hat. No, I'm like, am don't. I nuts? No. Have I driven myself crazy by being on Twitter all day? No. I mean, probably, but, but what you're saying <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> I've actively tried to stop being on Twitter all day. Um, Good for you. Lately, so yeah. It's yeah, just you're probably horrible. leading like a much more fulfilling life now. Honestly, I mostly play computer games all day and write, so. That sounds lovely. <laughs> Deleting Twitter from my phone, one of the best decisions I've ever made. Yeah. Yeah. It's dark. It's a dark I, w- one. I was at the gay beach this weekend because. You know, it's summer, start of summer. And I was hanging out with a friend and my friend was like, you know, sometimes I just choose not to understand things um, so I can be happier. And I choose to just like not 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 understand how things work. And I'm like, you know, I might I might take a little bit of that. I might I might take a little bit of that um, for things that I don't need to understand how they work. (laughs) I should take that approach with England, I think. England, all of England. Sometimes I see a social, like, like a news story on social media, and I'm like, I'm sitting this one out. Oh yeah, like I'm, I don't care. Like when there were like killer bees 
Like, remember during the yeah. pandemic for a while, there were <laughs> the kill, killer bees. bees. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I'm not doing the murder bees. <laughs> like, you guys have fun. I'm not doing it. So I will say that's how I felt about the Amber Heard trial. And then Caitlin's like, we should do a show on it. And it was the right decision. Yeah. I, I, f- I feel like I'm I'm the proper amount of informed now. <laughs> it's dark, man. Uh, I get it. <laughs> um you no, know, and I, that was another thing you heard a lot was this, like, I don't listen to celebrity gossip. And it's like, well, I get that. I get feeling like there are rich narcissists in the world and I don't want their problems to be my problems. Like, I deeply understand that position. Um, but on the other, like, the thing that is uh, really important about this, I mean, like, Amber Heard is a human being who is going through human suffering that is very unjust. She's being punished for trying to do the right thing. And it's unfair to her as it is, even if it didn't impact anybody else. Mm -hmm. But it will impact other people. It's going to impact a lot of survivors. It's going to, you know, you're going to see a lot of abusers and people who have grievances against me too and people who hate their ex. Emboldened. Yeah, they're going to say, oh, I can pull a debt. I can sue this person who spoke out because she thought it was safe, you know? And you're also going to see people not having to actually file suits, but be able to threaten suits Mm -hmm. uh, to keep their victims silent. Um, And you're going to see women and other victims of this kind of violence uh, silencing themselves because they're like, I can't afford a lawyer. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have to deal with him for years on end as he drags out a lawsuit that I can't control because I didn't bring it. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's really dark and it's really, really so fucked up that a jury put their stamp on this and, and decided to participate in this abuse. I think it'll uh, it'll silence a lot of people. It'll make the Internet really, really much more careful um, every time, every time a woman like tweets about being a survivor, she's going to get some troll being like, I hope you get sued for that. Like it's going to happen mm-hmm. like all the time. Um and a lot of a lot of people will get sued. Hmm. Hope just, I don't get sued. It's now. like a darker. Uh, <laughs> I hope you don't either. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I've been threatened with lawsuits before. It's not fun. I have a really good lawyer who works pro bono for me. So nice. That's the best. <laughs> and she's best. like a uh, pit bull. So <laughs> good. Cool. I love a pit bull lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody should have one. Yes. We need to assign every survivor a pit bull. Yes. <laughs> Whew, so so uh, we live in hell. Is that is that the upshot of all this? I'm sorry. I want to leave you guys on something more optimistic. <laughs> I mean, I think that's where we are, though, right? Like that's what well, I, I also think pretty dark. <laughs> I think it'll be a radicalizing moment. I think a lot oh, I hope of you're right. survivors and feminists are going to start to see this for what it is. Like the clouds of disinformation are starting to clear a little because uh, like people with platforms are starting to like have the courage to be like, wait, this is a bullshit. This is abuse. This is a free speech violation. This is misogyny. Uh, and I think, you know, that will cut through. People will start to feel more emboldened to say that this is what it is. Uh, and they'll start to support survivors and not let them be bullied into silence and you know i've been writing about 
gender violence for a while now. And I will say like, there is not a day that goes by on this beat where I'm not confronted with somebody thinking like, Oh my God, you're such a badass. Like people, (laughs) people should not have to take on this much risk and this much blowback to tell the truth about their lives and to try and do the right thing and protect other people. But I'm really always just continually inspired by the integrity of survivors. It impresses me every day. So like, don't, don't underestimate them. There's a, there's a lot of badasses in this world who want to do the right thing. I feel like we're going to get like a documentary 10 or 15 years from now that is going to be titled something like silencing Amber. And it's going to be <laughs> yeah. about this. And we're going to realize how fucked up it was. Like it's going to hit more of a critical mass. I mean, I think you're right that like the, there will be momentum that comes off of this, but I don't think it'll hit necessarily a critical mass until we get that like documentary down the line, just thinking back to how these things have gone in the past. Like uh, Monica Lewinsky comes to mind, right? Mm. Like she, she, in my opinion, has been vindicated. And I think people realize that now, but at the time she was obliterated basically off the face of the planet. Um, And it was one of those moments where people were look back on their own behavior from 20 years ago and go, that wasn't the best way to handle that. <laughs> so um, I think my hope for all of this is that we get to a place where people are like, yeah, you know, maybe the way I thought and felt back then wasn't so great. It's frustrating that we keep having to go through these cycles for different things, though. Yeah, you know, I hope it doesn't take 10 or 15 years. Um, there are survivors being hurt by this now. Amber Heard's being hurt by it now, you know. I want peace <laughs> and thriving for this person. She deserves an apology, a lot of apologies. Um, and, you know, maybe we can do that documentary a little sooner this time around. Maybe we've learned some lessons. So, Caitlin, are you ready for some out-of-context cancellations? I was born ready. Do you, you like to cancel things? I mean... Sorry. We are, we are making this show. <laughs> we, we did come up with the concept of the show, yes. <laughs> Although you are the cancel daddy, so maybe you like canceling things maybe a bit more than I do. Look, I'm not going to say that I have a problem, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, to start out with, we are going to cancel pharmacies not wanting to give one of our listeners the med that make their brain work because of concerns about drug abuse. That sounds fair. You need the meds that make your brain work. Yeah, no kidding. Along those lines, kind of. Uh, This is actually my first contribution to out-of-context cancellations, but we are canceling panic attacks and morning anxiety. Please, Lord. Please, Lord. Yeah, no, I'm I have the power to cancel that. You don't have panic attacks anymore. None of our listeners have morning anxiety. It's all gone. God, I wish it worked that way. Are you saying that I don't have that power? I don't have that power. I'm, I mean, I'm not that it's powerful. It's an ironic power. It's like the power of irony. Uh, you're canceled. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, we're going to cancel mornings. Just mornings. I actually I like mornings. I'm We're gonna morning cancel mornings. I'm, I'm ashamed of it, but I am a morning person. I'm much more productive in the morning. Mornings are great. What who 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 of our listeners wanted to cancel mornings? We're gonna cancel one of our listeners. I'll go a step further in saying breakfast is the best meal of the day. Um 
I mean, brunch is the best meal that could ever happen. So fair, only yeah. because there's alcohol plus breakfast there. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't drink alcohol, and I still think brunch is the best. But that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. Um, moving on, we're gonna cancel Pennsylvania GOP Senate candidates. Please don't make me learn the context on this one. <laughs> How about we cancel migraines? Yeah, yeah. No one, no one needs migraines, except unless you're a Pennsylvania GOP Senate candidate, and then you can have all the migraines. <laughs> oh my God! Did you see the pride tweet from the Marines? Yeah, that was pretty. It was so bad. Was it had yikes. rainbow-colored bullets on a battle helmet. Read the fucking room. That's uh, that's pretty. That's pretty cringe. I'm not gonna lie. We're gonna cancel. We're gonna cancel the Marines for that and for other things. Um. Yeah. Uh, we, we can can I can I cancel the armed forces? <laughs> yes, you can. Cool. Um. I mean, so we we had this discourse before with the trans military ban, where it was where Trump was like, "I'm banning trans people from the military," and then you had a lot of like really, I think, radical lefties going, "Well, nobody should be in the military," and it's like that's not that's not the point. <laughs> no, but I will cancel progressives for caring more about trans people's rights to die in the military than having like, I don't know, like housing and healthcare and all of that. Like this is true. Not, not to get too spicy. Yeah. Um, in the same vein as the bad pride tweet going to cancel rainbow capitalism. Cause uh, obviously yeah. it's that, t- it's that time of the year. Welcome to pride brought to you by Raytheon. <laughs> Have you been seeing the the pride tweets? Yeah, I made one myself, actually. Um, okay, let's share our pride tweets. Okay, I feel like I need to add context to this tweet. It's out of context, can- but go I ahead, know. go ahead, I go know. ahead. Okay, so people who've listened to this show for a while know that one of my favorite computer games is Overwatch. And the thing with Overwatch is their developers just stopped making stuff for the game a couple of years ago. Like, they just stop developing it okay to focus on a sequel which hasn't mm. come out yet mm-hmm. uh, um so against that backdrop <laughs> i tweeted as a post-op trans woman i recently felt like i've already done everything i need to and truth is i haven't produced anything interesting in years that's why this pride i'm partnering with overwatch <laughs> <laughs> okay that's good i appreciated the context okay that's fair you can occasionally add context to the out of context cancellations um yours is, yours is better than mine mine's a little dark okay um, go there let's go dark as a trans person i'm used to being loathed by the american public that's why i'm partnering with crocs this pride <laughs> I think that's the biggest laugh I've ever gotten out of you. I'm very proud of myself right now. I'm thinking of a follow-up. It's like... As a trans woman, I've always felt ugly and had a deep desire to get stepped on. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ, this went off the rails. In the best way. In the best way. If if you want to cancel me and Caitlin for all of that nonsense or other things that are bothering you, you should join our Patreon. By becoming a Patreon supporter, you can get access to our our what's it called? Our Discord. Right. Jesus. Our Discord. Uh where you can put in for our out of context cancellations. Also, we have a new perk by supporting us for uh, at least $15 a month, 
you can actually get your name listed in our written show notes. We also give some of our patrons episodes early, and there are other perks online you can check out at patreon.com slash cancel me daddy. Today's show was made by me, Oliver Ashkline, and my amazing co-host, Caitlin Burns. Daniel Peterschmidt made our theme song, and Eden MW designed our graphics. Our show is made possible by the incredible cancelers supporting our work, especially the members of our Cancelor Hall of Fame, with the great power to cancel all of their enemies. Matt! We appreciate your support. Happy canceling! Happy canceling!